But it said, I, I dreamed it had an interview with God. God asked, so uh, what would you like? So you'd like to interview me? And I said, uh, yes, I would if you have time. God smiled and said, my time's eternity. But what questions do you have in mind for me? Well, what surprises you most about humankind? God answered and said that they get bored with childhood and they rush to grow up. And then they long to be children again. That they lose their health to make money and then they lose their money to restore their health. That by thinking anxiously about the future, they forget the present. Such as they live neither in the present nor in the future. God's hand took mine and we were silent for a while. And then I asked, as a parent, what are some of life's lessons you want your children to learn? God said to learn that they cannot make anyone love them. All they can do is let themselves be loved. To learn it's not good to compare themselves to others. To learn to forgive by practicing forgiveness. To learn that it only takes a few seconds to open profound wounds in those they love. And it can take many years to heal them. To learn that a rich person is not the one who has the most, but it's the one who needs the least. To learn that there are persons who love them dearly, but simply have not yet learned how to express or show their feelings. To learn that two people can look at the same thing and see it differently. To learn that it's not enough to forgive one another, we must also forgive ourselves. Thank you for our time, I said humbly. Is there anything else you would like your children to know? God smiled and said, just know that I am here always. And I believe as we approach the new year, that's, that's one thing God wants us to know. He's here. And uh, He's got you. He's got the things that concern you. You can relax and let God be God. He can handle it. <laughs> you don't have to be God. That's real good news. Yes, it is. It'll set you free. One thing I've said many times to people is that doing flows out of being. A lot of people run around trying to change, trying to do things differently. And if you could settle some basic things about who you are, the doing would take care of itself. You know, if I had one goal for all of us in 2017, it would be to learn who you are in Christ. Not just as an idea. But as an experience. And to get comfortable with being that person. I want to read 1 Peter chapter 2. Beginning in verse 9. Peter writes and he says, You are a chosen race. A royal priesthood, 
a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you might proclaim or may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts that wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the things in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, on account of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, I want to kind of talk about this a little bit, go through some of the phrases in here, and... Uh, you know, Peter says that, you know, you're a, a chosen race. Do you? Let me just ask you. Do you sense that God chose you to be just who you are? Ephesians 1.4 says that before God ever made the world, He chose you. To be holy and blameless before Him. To live in 2017. But to be you, not some somebody different than who you really are. With your strengths, with your weaknesses, with your faults. He chose you. You're a chosen race. goes on to say, you're a royal priesthood. That means... You're a member of God's family. That's what makes you royalty. God is the king and you're his child. But you also are here representing him on earth. Now, are you comfortable with that? That's why we're here. says, you're a holy nation. Now, this word holy used to hang me up because I realized uh, I had some things that weren't necessarily perfect in my life. Still do. But the word holy doesn't mean perfect. The word holy means set aside for a purpose. This paper that I printed in the interview with God on is, is holy because it served the unique purpose of printing something that I wanted to read. You're holy because God has a purpose for you being here that only you can accomplish. And you accomplish it by being who you are, just relaxing and being God's child and seeing Christ in you do God's will on earth. It says that we are a people for God's own possession. God delights in you. He does. When He hears your name, He smiles. He, he, he loves you just as you are. Faults and all. In fact, the person He loves is you on your worst day. 
It says, we are all these things so that we can declare the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We of all people, as, as Christians, should be the one that demonstrates to the world what it's like to live in reality. Colossians 1.13 says that God delivered us out of the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. You're living in the kingdom of God now. That's not heaven when you die one day. It's now. Jesus Christ is ruling and He has delivered you out of the domain. Really, the word should be authority of darkness. And into the kingdom of His Son, which is a kingdom of light. It, Jesus wants to show us the way things really are. When Jesus was walking the earth, He said, in John eight twelve, He said, I am the light of the world. He who follows Me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. My life gives you light so that you can see things and won't keep tripping over the same thing that everybody else trips over. Verse 10, he says, look, you once were a people, but now you're the people of... You once were not a people, but now you're the people of God. You once didn't have mercy, but now you have received mercy. Boy, I am so thankful. If I got what I deserved, I would have been dead a long time ago. Uh, I sometimes, you know, I, I'm approaching 70 and I think back over my life and I say, Wow, Lord, thank you for preserving my life to get me this far. I, I have been my own worst enemy on occasions. But let me read verse 11 and 12. It says, I urge you. As aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Let me just stop right there. Fleshly lusts are not sexual temptations as much as it is the self-protective and the self-indulging measures we take. It's called living in the flesh. And it's things like anger and unforgiveness. He says, abstain from these because they wage war against your soul. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about what matters in life. Is it how much money you make? How famous you are? It's interesting to me that at the end of the year, they always have these special programs about the celebrities that died during the year. I'm not sure they're going to be celebrities on the other side. Because uh, what do you take with you when you die? Take your soul. You take who you are in your innermost being. That's eternal. It can never die. In Matthew... 
16. Stuck a paper in it so I could find it. Don't seem to be working. Matthew 16, verse 24 and follows. He's, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross and follow me. Now, it'd be real important to learn what that means. I'm, I'm not going to preach on that this morning. That'd be a real good thing to say, you know what, Lord, I want to know what that means. Teach me that. It's... it's Anyway, for whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will a man be profited if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Let me go back to First Peter. Now, verse 12, you know, he said, abstain from fleshly lust, which I said include things like anger and unforgiveness. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, among the nonbelievers, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, on account of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Or my, I got a little note that says when Christ comes again in judgment. There's going to come a day when Jesus Christ is going to return to earth. Now, a lot of people say, I don't believe that. Well, that doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. It's reality. It's reality. And when he does return, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he's Lord. Well, I don't believe that. Well, it's not a matter of believing. You will spiritually know reality. Okay? But Peter talks in terms of what... Christians should expect is that they would be slandered as evildoers. I don't like that. I'm not going to put that verse on my refrigerator. But it says, keep your behavior excellent so that the thing in which they slander you as evildoers... They may, on account of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God when Christ returns. How do you handle it when people don't treat you right? How do you handle it when they do things that make you mad? See, see what this verse says... Is that the reason non-believers, I don't want to say it wrong. The reasons non-believers are going to glorify God when Christ comes back is on account of the good deeds that they see in you when they've treated you wrong. Now, let me define good deeds. The only thing that's a good deed is something that's been initiated and empowered by God. It's not you trying to be nice. God isn't interested in you being nice. 
He's interested in you allowing Him to live His life through you. And deeds that are truly good deeds or good works are always initiated by God and always empowered by God. In Matthew 5, Jesus is he's getting ready to start His ministry. He's talking to His disciples. And He says, you're the light of the world. Matthew five fourteen and follows. You know, a city set on a hill can't be hid. And then He goes on to say, in verse 16, He says, let your light so shine before men that they will see your good deeds and glorify your Father who's in heaven. See, that's, where, that's what the light is. is us living supernaturally where God initiates things through us and gives us the power to do it and it shines like a light in the darkness. One of my favorite verses, I probably can't stand up here ever and talk without quoting this verse that says... You are God's workmanship. Ephesians 2.10. You are God's workmanship. And that word workmanship is the word P-O-E-M-A in the Greek. That we get the word poem from. You are God's unique expression of rhyme and reason. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. God initiated, God empowered that God prepared before the foundation of the world for you to walk in them. Isn't that an amazing thing to realize? You're not here by accident. 2017 is, God's got some amazing things He's going to do through you. I want to read this passage in the message. Wow. This is, this is the passage, is, is, is the first Peter passage, uh, chapter 2, beginning in verse uh, 10. It says, but you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you. From nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. Friends, this world's not your home. So don't make yourself cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. What a line, man. Whoa. Live an exemplary life among the natives so that your actions will refute their prejudices. I would encourage you. To find out how most people think about church people. It's not good. It's not good. And some of those are related to me. Then, they'll be won over to God's side and they will join in the celebration when He arrives. Whoa. That, what, what a great, great paraphrase. Now, so I want to ask you again, how do you respond when someone treats you badly? Now, this message I'm sharing with you has come out of some experiences of people treating me badly lately. 
And I was aware of all kinds of options as I faced these situations. Let me read you another passage. Right before Jesus talked about to his disciples about being light of the world. This is what he said. Let me find it. I'm reading it out of the message again. This, this is uh, Matthew 5, 10 to 12. He says, you're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. What? The persecution drives you deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourself blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens, even cheer. For though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds and know you're in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. I've never seen that one on anybody's refrigerator either. Hello. I don't find that very comforting. I want to share a story with you. I think most of you know that I was a hospice chaplain for 19 years before I retired the first time. In hospice, hospice is a health care organization that helps people uh, when a doctor said they got six months or less to live. Help them be comfortable. Not try to cure them, but try to help them be comfortable. When, uh, when a person is admitted to hospice, they have to see a nurse, they have to see a social worker, but a chaplain is an option. And so my job was when somebody was admitted, as I, I had to call them within 24 hours, introduce myself, and offer, offer to come see them. I called this one family, and I talked to the daughter of the man that was the patient. She said, you know, my dad will not want to see you. But I would like for you to come to visit my mother. I said, okay. So I did. And the daughter was right. The, the man that was a patient did not want to see me. He was Catholic. I wasn't. He just wasn't interested in the things of the Lord at all. He became my least favorite patient. Now, I'm required every month to visit people at least once a month. Sometimes I had as many as 80 patients, and I really had to visit four or five a day in order to get them all in a month. But this particular fellow, he was always my last patient of the month to visit. Because it was just miserable. It just, I, he didn't like me. He didn't want me to come see him. You know, as I talked to the wife and the daughter, I found out he was a very abusive man. The daughter told me when they were growing up that if they bought a pizza with their own money, they had to put the, 
put the box in the neighbor's garbage because if he saw it, there would be hell to pay. You know, it was his money. He went to his men's club and drank and gambled and spent the money he wanted to. But you better not be spending. You know, that's just the kind of guy he was. Well, it was the end of the month. I hadn't gone to see John yet. So I took a big sigh and said, listen, I'm going to go get this out of the way. I go in to see him. He's sitting up in bed. And he smiles. Yeah, that surprised me. And he wanted to talk about the Lord. And he wanted me to pray for him. I, I really had the sensation, am I in the right house? When I came out, there was his wife. Now, his wife was this little mousy woman who had been abused all of her married life. You could see it in her physically. And I greeted her and I said, how are you doing? She says, well, Chaplain Tom, I know I'm going to hell when I die. Hello. Why would you say that? Well, she said, the Bible says you're supposed to forgive and forget. And being married to John for 60 years has been hell on earth. And so I know I'm going to hell. I said, well, stop. The Bible doesn't say you're supposed to forget. How can you forget 60 years of abuse? You can't. I said, but let me ask you a question. Do you have unforgiveness towards your husband? Do you want to make him pay like you've suffered? She says, no, I, I feel sorry for him. He could have had a relationship with me and with the kids. And now it's too late. I said, you know what? That don't sound like unforgiveness to me. That sounds like love. So why don't you go in there and tell him what you're feeling? Oh, no, she said. He would cuss me out. I said, well, I was just in there. And he's in pretty good mood. I tell you what, I will go with you if you will go. She said, okay, just go. We walked in that room. John's sitting up in bed. She walks over to his bed and she says, John. Being married to you for 60 years has been hell on earth. But I want you to know something. I forgive you. John started sobbing. And he held out his arms. And she went over and embraced him. And I left. Less than two hours later, I got a text that John had died. Later, when I went and visited the, the daughter, she told me, Tommy, I don't know what you said to my mama the day my daddy died, but she has been set free. She walks around the house. She's singing. She's happy. She's a completely different person. Now, I want to... I wrote some things down. I want you to hear it. I'll try to go slow enough. Are we supposed to forgive and forget 
Of course not. You can't forget. I've had people that have betrayed me and hurt me through life. I will never forget that. I'm a very sensitive person. Very sensitive person. Forgiveness is the intentional choice to release a person from all obligation that they have toward me because of the offense they've committed against me. I'm not going to make you pay for what you did to me. That's forgiveness. It's not a feeling. It's not some gushy, oh, I just love them and I just want to hang out with them. No, no, no. It's not that. Trust me. It's a decision you make to release them from any obligation to make things right. And we forgive for our own sake. So we won't be poisoned by the bitterness that grows in the absence of forgiveness. Unforgiveness is a poison you drink trying to hurt somebody else. You've got to forgive for your own sake. When you understand that the fullness of how much we ourselves have been forgiven by God. When we know the reality that Jesus Christ is our life. Would you hear me just for a minute? Sometimes when you hear a preacher, you kind of zone in and out. Try to zone in right now just a minute. Jesus is our life. Christ in you is the hope of glory. It isn't you trying to be good. It's you allowing Christ in you to live the Christian life. He's the only one that can. Okay? Now, when you understand that, then you want to forgive people that have offended you. We've been studying the book of Ephesians on Wednesday morning. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. But, are we required to forget the wrong that others have done to us? No. Because that's not what the Bible says. Even God does not forget. The Bible doesn't say that He forgets our sins. It says that He doesn't remember them. And there's a difference between those two things. Now listen, please try to listen. Because this has tremendous applications to our ability to forgive. To forget means that we have no ability to bring to mind the forgotten thing. Just can't, can't, can't uh, you know, uh, forget. And, and how can that be possible with some of the terrible things that... that Many of you, many of the people I know, I work at a cottage of nine boys. And I can, what they've been through, I cannot even imagine. 
and has made them who they are. But some of you have been through things that I can never imagine. And you just, it's not possible to forget that. But, but what we can do is not remember. Now, I'm on, you know, what does it mean to remember? Well, remember is a word that's broken up into two parts. You've got the re part and the member part. Re is a prefix that means to return to a previous condition or, or the repetition of a previous action. The word member means one of a group, one that belongs, or a part of the body. So when you put both these together, the, the accurate and the literal meaning of the word remember is to return something to a previous condition by making it belong to or join again with something. I'm going to repeat that. Literally, the word remember is to return something to a previous condition by making it belong to or join again with something. Huh? Reliving it, reconnecting it, reattaching it. The Bible doesn't say God forgets our sins. It says He will separate our sins from us forever. They're not there. He doesn't forget, but He does remember them no more. Now, this is big. I, I, it may not be big to you. It's big to me. Because He will forever refuse to join our sins to us or our past guilt to Himself. He just will not do that because of what Jesus has done. Man, God raised Him from the dead. It's finished. <laughs> he will not remember them. And, and, and so... So we've just had communion. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Affirm by faith again and again when you partake of the elements that you are inseparably joined to what I did on the cross. My shed blood, my body has changed the universe. And you can get in on that. But that's what we can do. When other people hurt us. God doesn't forget. Remember our sins anymore. He refuses to ever remember them to himself again. And so when somebody hurts us, when somebody betrays us. We can do the same thing. Do we forget? No. No. No, I'm uh uh-uh. you, you don't have don't don't even try to forget. But neither do we remember them. We don't attach them to ourselves. Years ago I heard, I read a quote by Martin Luther, and he said, You cannot prevent a bird from flying over your head. But you can prevent him from building a nest in your hair. Now, if he was just talking about hair and birds, I, I wouldn't even 
I wouldn't have to worry about that quote. But he wasn't talking about that. He was talking about the things that enter your mind. You can't prevent them from entering, but you can prevent them from attaching and affecting your life. When we refuse to remember, we release those that have hurt us from any obligation they have to us. We refuse to join the offense to ourselves again. Some of you have heard me say this before. Just because somebody sends you a telegram, that don't mean you have to sign it. A lot of those enemies just trying to keep you in bondage and keep you bound up. Yes, you've been hurt. Yes, it was wrong. But you sure don't have to let it affect you for the rest of your life. You can be free. That's who you are. That's who you are. As we refuse to join the offense to to ourselves again, we may never forget. But as we walk in forgiveness by letting it go, the event itself will have less and less emotional impact on us when we think about it. What do you say? It does. It does. You know, here again, this is letting God be God. You know what I mean? He's a God of justice. He's a God of truth. There's going to come a day, as as Peter said, when people that have treated you wrong because of the way you handle that, they're going to glorify God. And it very, very may be the power that draws them to God. It has set you free from being from being bound by that event, and you can go on with your life. You'll be able to act like a way that's consistent with who you truly are. (laughs) See, I know people that are so angry and unforgiving toward people that have been dead for years. Is that crazy? Jesus told his disciples right after he said the part about you're the light of the world and let people see your good works. He said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I mean, come on, Jesus. Really? For real? Yeah, because this is this is this is how it applies in my life. I don't forget the hurt. I drive to work in the middle of the night. I think of people that have hurt me. But you know what? What I'm learning to do is as soon as I think of them, I pray for them. Not in a self-righteous, oh God, show them how messed up they are and they're sinners. And, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't pray judgmental prayers. I just say, Lord, just draw them to Yourself. I commend them to your grace. Work out their circumstances to bring them to a place where they know you. 
That's the way I love them. I don't call them up and say, hey, you want to hang out? It's been a while. If they call me up and say that, I'd really have to pray for I'd say yes. It's not that. It's not feeling all this gooshy stuff toward them. Oh, they're just one of my best friends. No. If I never see them again, it'd be okay. I'll pray for them from a distance, so. <laughs> I don't trust them to be around them again, to tell you the truth. The Lord may bring healing there. I think He might, may. I'm open to that. But in the meantime, when I think of them, I'm going to pray for them. Because that's one way that I can love them. If, during this coming year, you can grow in this whole area of allowing God to empower you to forgive those people that, that hurt you, it's going to be a good year. This is what God is working in my life right now, and I'm walking in it. I'm trying to walk in it. Done, done okay so far, but I'm sure there's going to be some more opportunities to put it into practice. And I, I trust that, that this word this morning is a word that God had for somebody here. And if you'll grab hold of it, you'll have the courage to say, all right, Lord, I'm not, I'm I'm not going to forget, but I'm choosing not to remember. I'm not going to let it attach to me and define me. I'm going to pray instead. And I think 2017 is going to be a good year for all of us. Thank you.